Well, hey, good morning, everybody. Good to see all of you guys. Um, this is your first time here. My name is John Wagler. I'm part of this Hill City team and just grateful you're spending a part of your Sunday here with us. Um, we are in the midst of this new series as we're going to take a look at the book of Revelation uh, for the next couple of months here uh, together and kicked it off uh, last week. Again, it's Revelation, not Revelations, just as a reminder and uh, as we get going. And so um, we're going to take some time in, in this book because uh, this is a daunting book, all right? And, and even when we think about, uh, some of you guys have, have read other portions of the Bible and you get to Revelation, you're kind of like, nah, I'm good, right? Like it's like you, you see all the language and the imagery and there's a lot that goes into it. Uh, but what I'd like to do is hopefully uh, essentially increase our wonder and awe and decrease our fear and conspiracy around this letter uh, because it's such a beautiful, beautiful letter that is written to churches and to, that it applies to us now that is not just for people back then, not just for people in the future, but it's also for us in the present to help us reshape how we see uh, our lives. And so we're going to take some time. And last week we said uh, kind of like the main line that I just wanted us to remember was to, to stay grounded. The gospel works, right? Stay grounded. The gospel works. Uh, when it comes to Revelation, uh, we, we don't want to speculate, uh, we don't want to predict and was just saying like, hey, we don't, we don't need to buy those books. We don't need to watch those videos because that is not what the, Revel that's not what Revelation is about. Who is Revelation about? Jesus. A little bit better. Who is Revelation about? Jesus. Yes, right. Revelation is about Jesus and what Jesus has, has done. And so we're not going to speculate. We're not going to predict. We're not going to do uh, any of those things. And uh, one of the things that we did talk about last week as well is that there's going to be two questions that come about a lot in this series. And, and one is like, who is Babylon, right? So in our context, Babylon is America. All right, so uh, every commentator, every scholar, theologian ever that talks about in, in this book, uh, when they've done all the work, uh, theological work in this, in this book of Revelation, uh, they talk about how you got to contextualize where you are. Babylon is always the place that you're living. So, so Babylon is America, okay, when we, in our context, when we read this. And then we have to also then ask a second question to that is, how much has Babylon influenced us, all right? And so that's what we're going to be taking a look at. It's going to come up quite often in this series. And, and when we stay grounded, and when we stop seeing this letter as a, something to speculate and predict, and when we just stay grounded and understand that the gospel works, we can appreciate the beauty of things. We can appreciate uh, why we should critique something, and uh, maybe what's bad about something. Like We can kind of get a fuller picture, and that's what Revelation is trying to do. And so today, uh, we're going to actually go to the end all right, we're going to go to the end of the letter in Revelation 22 here this morning. And uh, the reason why I want us to go to the end is because when you understand the end of the story, sometimes it's you can appreciate what's happening presently. Uh, how many of you guys have ever like seen a movie that uh, you were like tense the whole movie, right? Like just the whole movie, you're just so tense, like wondering what's going to happen. But the second time you see it, you enjoy the movie a little bit more. Because you're just kind of like, oh, I know it's going to happen here. And so you kind of can appreciate it. Well, that's what we want to do today with Revelation. I'm going to take you through a little bit of a journey throughout actually the entire Bible. Uh, and, and I want you to see something that's really significant uh, at the end of Revelation. But in order to stand the end, we have to go back to the beginning of the Bible. But here's the main thought here for this morning. That the end of Revelation is not about a place, but a presence. Let me say that again. 
The end of Revelation is not about a place, but a presence. I'm going to move this mic stand because it's bothering me when I look over to your beautiful faces over there. And so, um, too often when we think about the end of Revelation, we get fixated on a place. It's not about a place. It is about a presence. And here's why that's so important. It's because when we understand the presence, we can understand our place. See, so many times the, the issue that we're seeing right now in cultural, in our own lives, and everything, how we engage the world around us, is we don't understand our place in all of this. Uh, we elevate ourselves to, to divinity or, or godlike figures sometimes. Uh, and we don't understand our, our place in all of this. But see, the whole entire Bible and this whole entire thing is like we start seeing like, man, God is like obsessed with like getting us to know his presence. Because when we're in his presence and we appreciate his presence and we understand his presence, then we can understand our place in this, all, in this whole game of life that we're in. And so um, I want to, we're, gonna, we're gonna hover around something here this morning, here in just a second, but um, how many guys love a good movie? Yes. Love a good movie, okay. Um, how many guys have heard of the term MacGuffin? Ooh, okay, just a, a few of you, great. All right, so in movies, um, there's something called a MacGuffin. Uh, and a MacGuffin is typically a, uh, uh, an object in a movie. Sometimes it can be a person, but typically it's an object in a movie that uh, carries through the entire storyline of a movie. All right, so once you see it, you can never stop seeing it. Uh, but it's in there on purpose. Like the writers put it in there on purpose, and sometimes you don't even realize it, but it connects different parts of the story, significant parts of the story. Sometimes it's in the big like crescendo of it. Sometimes it's just like woven into different parts. So one of my favorite movies is The Natural, um, and so, uh, which is a baseball movie. And, and if you've seen that movie, lightning is actually the MacGuffin in it. And at and, and different points of the movie, like lightning is a significant piece. Now, is there a bigger storyline? There is, but lightning is part of every part of the story. And so um, if you've seen Psycho, it's $40,000 of cash. If you've seen uh, The Big Lebowski, it's the rug. If you've seen some of the uh, uh, um, Marvel movies, they all have all these stones all the time. And the stones are like links into all these different stories. Well, um, one of my favorite uh, movies that has like an interesting MacGuffin, how many guys have seen The Greatest Showman? Okay, so um, it's like an incredible uh, soundtrack, and there's this MacGuffin in uh, The Greatest Showman, and it's the hat, all right? So in the beginning of the movie, when uh, uh, Barnum is actually a young, poor kid, uh, he comes up to a, a window, if you remember this part, and he, he sees itself in a suit, in a mirror, and what is it? It's the hat that makes him feel something, and this hat starts getting woven throughout his whole story as he takes another step into uh, um, wealth, and eventually as he comes into uh, this whole act that he does with uh, the circus and everything, the hat becomes this significant part of the story. Uh, remember when he uh, makes a poor decision with the opera singer, right? He's kind of going down this, this bad lane. The hat is nowhere to be found. And so it, it's on purpose. Like, you, again, you, you don't notice that when you first see it, but the writers are doing it on purpose. And then they get to the last scene of the movie. And sometimes when you get to the last scene of, of the movie, and I'm going to show you a little bit of, uh, of a clip here in a second of one of the last songs, and you, and you think, oh, that's a cool trick with the hat, but it's not what they're doing with the hat. So what they're doing with the hat is they're trying to show, oh, something new is happening with all of these people and the hat's getting passed around and it's telling you, oh, there's a new thing that's about to happen because everyone's now touching the hat. So watch this clip. It's 
So, like you might have seen that scene and like loved the, the, the song itself, but what the writer's trying to do is trying to get you to clue in, oh, everything you ever want, it's in this hat. It's getting passed on to person, to person, to person. So it's an intentional thing. It's a MacGuffin that happens throughout the whole entire movie. And at the end scene, if you guys remember this, he comes riding in on an elephant in his new life, right? And what does he do? He waves his new hat. Okay, so it's all in there. Like it's on, it's on purpose, all right? Um, the Bible does this better than anything else ever, <laughs> ever. Ever. And so what I'm going to do today is I'm going to take you through one of the, uh, a couple of things, a couple of MacGuffins in the Bible. And um, sometimes I, I like to do this. I, I want to take you on a little journey through scripture. We'll get to Revelation eventually. But um, uh, I'm going to take you on a little journey in uh, the Bible because one of the most significant um, things that I want you to see today is, is about the presence of God because this is how it all starts and it all begins. And so when you get into the beginning of, uh, of Genesis. So if you're not familiar with your Bible, um, Genesis is the first book in the Bible. And what it says is it talks about this creation story and that there's this water that's there. And then uh, it says that God creates and he's doing something new. There's this new creation. He's making things new and he's trying to get people into his presence. And so what it then says is, it, is that this land is created. And this land um, is actually called Eden. All right, so there's more land than just Eden, but this land in particular is called Eden. And then on Eden, it's interesting, it starts talking about this creative order in this garden that's in Eden, all right? And so Eden's a place, and then part of, in the east part of Eden is this garden. And then in this garden, in chapter two, it talks about all of these trees. And you might be thinking, wait, I thought there were only two trees. Well, no. He says, man, there are all these trees, and all these trees are, are really interesting because these trees, it's, it's specific. It's like these trees actually produce all of this fruit and this really good fruit. And then it says that from Eden and from this garden, they have these four um, rivers that come and, they, and it's living water, all right? This, this living water that nourishes everything around it. But these trees are involved in this, and, and, and as the river comes through, this, this living water comes through and, 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 and nourishes all the trees, and it flows out into all the other land, into um, what some people believe is all the other people that were around there. But in particular, in, in this garden, were actually two significant trees, all right? Two significant trees that were bigger than the other ones and are up top and, and higher than the other ones. Now, um, do you guys remember what the name of these trees were? Tree of life, right? So we have the tree of life. Do you remember the other one? Yeah, knowledge of good and evil. All right? So you have the tree of life and knowledge of good and evil. Now, sometimes people think like, man, but the one of good and evil was like bad. But here's the thing. It's like this tree, you have the tree of life that was so significant because it embodies the presence of God. And, and God actually comes to these humans, Adam and Eve, and, and says, hey, like you can have any other tree. Like you can eat from any tree that you want to. And as long as you eat from all these other trees that have really great fruit and they're really good for you, like you will experience the tree of life. But the one thing you can't do is do the tree of good and evil. You can't eat from that tree. And, and it looks good. Like, like don't picture this barren tree. Because like if it was a barren tree, like Adam and Eve would be like, I, why would we go to the barren tree, right? So this, the tree of good and evil actually is, is it's enticing, it looks good. It, it's like, should I, should I be a part of this? And what you're establishing, what the Bible's doing on the front end is like, all the time, here are our choices. We can choose the tree of life or the tree of good and evil. And sometimes, like, they both look really good. 
And sometimes we don't understand which one is which, and we got to take some time to figure it out. But there's all these other choices for us to participate in the tree of life. But then you come up to this one, it's like, man, I've got these choices in between the, tree, the two trees. And to experience like the, the garden kind of atmosphere and experience like the beauty and the presence of God. What ends up happening is, is Adam and Eve, uh, they get involved, right? Eventually, here's a famous picture of uh, uh, Adam and Eve that was drawn by this guy Jura in, in 1502. And uh, it's a sketch that he did. And you can see like Eve right here, she's hiding a piece of fruit. And, and, and so here's what happens. They, they go up to this tree and, and Eve decides to, to take part of it and then and Adam does uh, as well. And then if you remember part of the story, it says at this point in time, they were so free. They were in the presence of God. Like they had everything. They were, they were exactly where they were supposed to be. And the second that they went outside of the presence of God, all of a sudden they didn't see the world as God saw it anymore. They didn't see it through his eyes. They saw it in some other kind of way. And they didn't understand their place. You see, they didn't fully appreciate the presence of God, and so they didn't understand their place in everything. And when they didn't understand their place, they made a decision that actually took them away from the presence of God. Now, what ends up happening is they take it and they eat, and then everything gets fractured. And then all of a sudden, in that moment, they, were, they used to be free. Now, all of a sudden, if you remember, if you've ever read this part of the story, it says that they were naked and what? And they were afraid, they were ashamed, right? And here's what's really cool. God comes in and he, he sees them and uh, he sees their, what their choices are and he sees who they are and he, and he sees, like, he's like, man, I, I want you still to know my presence. I still want you to, to kind of to, to, to understand like, what it means to be in my presence. And so what does God do? He comes in and he does this. He covers them. I'll give Eve a tankini, I guess. And... Um, <laughs> And, and what he did is, this is like, the Bible says he, 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 he covers them in, in fig leaves. Get this. God covers them with a tree. He says, listen, I know you, I know you made a mistake. Like, I know you, you made the wrong choice. But here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to cover you with the tree. And as you go out, I know things are fractured right now, but I'm going to provide you a way back into my presence. And here's what else I'm going to do. As you walk around, you're going to be a model of my tree. And he covers them in his grace. And he covers them as trees. And so now all of a sudden, Adam and Eve are walking trees. And they're walking trees of life. And they're, and they're witnessing to the grace and the beauty of God. And God has provided this prey. Now, everything is a little bit of a mess now, and, and it's fractured. So God enters in. He continues on in the story. Because again, God's obsessed with getting us into his presence. Because he knows, like, that's where we're supposed to be. And so we continue on in the story, and there's this guy named Abraham. And Abraham, uh, who's a significant uh, person in all major religions, and Abraham uh, becomes known as, uh, uh, God meets with him, and, and it's fascinating, God meets with him uh, in an interesting place, in two separate occasions. You see here it says Abram, as before his name was changed. But in Genesis 12, it says this, Abram traveled through the land as far as the site of the great what? Huh of Morah at Shechem. And then in verse 18, he uh, appears to Abraham again. So, so Abraham is in the presence of God. He says, near the greatest what? Trees. He's like, of the manor while he was sitting in the entrance to his tent. And here's what God's doing to Abraham at this point in time. So he's meeting him at these trees and, and the trees are significant. The significance is like the presence of God right now. And so they're meeting at this trees. And what God is trying to do is saying, Abraham, listen, I'm going to make you... Uh, 
the father of all these nations. And listen, your people or my people that come out of this are going to be healing to the nations, nourishment to the nations. Like what they're going to do, what, what it was it saying? It's providing like this living water, this nourishment to the nations, to everybody. And, and here's what I want you to do. I want you to get this picture. And so God's trying to get Abraham to see this bigger picture of like, I, I want you to see what the garden could be like. And you might be thinking as you're reading through this, you're like, I thought the garden was gone. It's like, no, no, the garden's never gone. Because God's trying to get us back to the garden all the time into his presence. Like the Bible does this over and over and over and over again. And, and so he's like, I want you to just see this picture. Yep, the garden was in the past and we won't have that garden of Eden, but you can still experience the garden now. And also I want you to see in the future, it could be this garden in your life. And so he's trying to get him to see all of this, right? So Abraham goes on and he makes some good choices and some bad choices. And, and eventually what ends up happening is uh, God's people become enslaved. They kept making bad choices and eventually they get enslaved. And uh, we move on to the second book of the Bible, which is called Exodus. Now, uh, Exodus is this interesting uh, part of God's people being uh, delivered. And who's the main character or, or person or leader in the book of Exodus? Anybody know? Moses, right? Now, here's how I picture Moses at all times, right? <laughs> this is like, just how, it's like the ultimate position, right? Um, it's like, if you want to fight, this is what you do. If you want to part the seas, this is what you do, right? So, uh, um, so Moses, uh, it was, we'll sing in a song here, uh, in a response song, when, uh, it's a, when you turn seas into to highways. Like, 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 it's this idea, like, at one point, uh, the seas were there, and uh, God created a pathway for his people, a road, basically, to, to, to go through to, to save his people. Now, we know that part of the story of, of Moses. But actually, you got to go all the way back in Moses' story to understand trees and the presence of God and the garden that's available. See, the Bible does all these things. It's always hyperlinking things all the time. Um, Moses, if you know part of his story, is uh, he was a baby and then he was set in uh, the water, right? You guys remember this part of the story? And uh, it says he was put in a what? A basket. All right, a basket and floated down the river. Guess what? Here's something cool. I won't talk about this today, maybe another day. But the Bible, the word for basket is the same word as the word for ark. And so the, they're trying to do is like, they're trying to tell you, here's the ark, and we're trying to get you back to the story of Noah, which you can see back to the story of Genesis. Anyway, so the Bible, I'm telling you, the Bible is so cool and so brilliant. And so, uh, so in Moses' story, what ends up happening is he comes up, he's an adult now, and he comes up to, he's in the desert, and he comes up to this, this burning bush, which is actually a burning bush tree. It's a burning tree. And so um, we see in the story of Moses in Exodus chapter 3, it says there's the angel of the Lord, meaning the presence of God, appears to him in flames, fire from within a what? A tree, a small tree. It says Moses saw that the bush was on fire and did not burn up. And then in verse 6, it says this, take off your sandals for this place where you are standing is what? Huh. All of a sudden, at this tree, Moses understands the presence of God, and he understands his place in the story. And he says, you need to take your sandals off. You're, you're on holy ground right now. Whenever you're in the presence of God, it is holy ground. Whenever you're in the presence of God, it is a sacred moment. When you guys walked in today, you were in the presence of God. It is a holy moment. It's a sacred moment. When you woke up this morning and you saw maybe it was raining and you're just, you know, it's like, ah, oh, I just like to sleep in or whatever. You, 
you woke up and you took a breath, in that moment you're realizing this is a sacred moment. I just took a breath and guess what? I'm in the presence of God. And when we understand his presence, we understand our place. But how often do we neglect his presence and so we neglect to understand our place? And so we go through life without acknowledging the presence of God and so we're never in the right place, in the right mindset, in the right heart. Well, Moses stays in this place and, and, he, and, he, and he's speaking with God in the presence of God, he's interacting with God and God says, hey, I want to paint a picture for you of what could be. And I want to take you to this place and I'm going to help you get to this place. And for you guys that don't know uh, what this place is, in, in Exodus it says, I'm going to take you to the promised land. What is the promised land? It's just a new garden. It's described in the same way as the Garden of Eden, with the same things flowing into it, and the nourishment of the waters, the living water. And he's like, I'm taking you to this new promised land. If you'll just stay in my presence and understand your place, you're going to go there. Here's the problem. Eventually, what started to happen is some of the people um, had a vision for what the promised land could be, but they got stuck in the wilderness and they forgot their place. And they got stuck in the wilderness and they kept thinking, whoa, whoa, hold on. I thought we're getting to the promised land. I thought all these things were promised to me and, and it was going to be back in the garden and all this stuff was going to be so good and we have all these blessings and Moses is like, yeah, we're going to get there, but we got to go through some stuff to get there first. And people started to complain. People stopped wanting to do the next hard thing. And then God at one point is like, listen, because you're acting this way, you're actually not going to ever experience the garden. You're not going to do it. You're not going to be able to experience the full fruit of everything because guess what? You forgot your place. You forgot your place. And so the story of God's people continues and eventually get, uh, the story of God's people is constantly in exile, out of exile, in exile, out of exile, and under like some kind of oppression, getting freed. And so we see this storyline a lot. And so the writers would talk about this a lot. And eventually what you'd end up starting to see is people trying to get like an understanding of what this garden would look like and their place in it. And so even writers like the Psalms would, in the Psalms, they would, they would, they would create these writings to try and get people to understand, hey, like, this is how the world works, and you got to see, like, what wisdom really is. Now, sometimes we think wisdom is, is, is a knowledge of things, but what the Bible says is wisdom starts with the fear of the Lord. And what is that? That's understanding our place. Because when we understand our place, then we can have real wisdom because we start to see how God sees the world. That's wisdom. And so the writer in Psalm 1 says this. I can get there. That person, meaning the person who has wisdom, is like a what? Huh. Planted by streams of what? This is living water. Which yields its fruit, here we go again, in season, whose leaves does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. And what this passage is talking about, whatever these people do in wisdom, these trees, they're producing fruit that is healing and a nourishment to everyone around them. That's your place. That's my place in the presence of God. That we are like trees. And the Bible continues to say this in so many different ways. These prophets that come along. Um, guys like Isaiah um, was one of the prophets, these prophets of God that, that come in and they, they, they talk about what's going to happen. They, they see what's happening in the past and how people are acting and they're trying to give people this view of the future. 
and, and what could be, and it reshapes their, their present. He wants them to know the end of the story. And so in Isaiah chapter 10, uh, he says this. He says, in that day, the what? Where's root come from? Of Jesse will stand as a banner for the peoples. The nations will rally to him and his resting place will be glorious. And we, what Isaiah is saying here, this tree that's going to come stands as this example and it'll be healing to the nations in that, that it'll be like this living water, this nourishment, this, this, this place of ultimate rest will be found in this tree. This, this tree, this tree of what? Life. This tree and this Messiah that's going to come is, is this tree. And this Messiah, what he's going to do, he's going to make everything new. Like in the same way that God created everything new, this Messiah is going to make everything new. And so later on, Isaiah says this. He says, see, I will create a new heavens and a new earth. The former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind. But be glad and rejoice forever in what I will create. For what I will create... Uh, for I will create Jerusalem to be a delight and its people a joy. Meaning Jerusalem at this point being like God's people. I'll create them to be a joy. What, what is that? Man, it is, we are a nourishment. We are a healing for all people. He continues on and he says, for No longer will they build houses and others live in them or plant and others eat. For as the days of a what? So will be the days of my people. My chosen ones will long enjoy the work of their hands. And what this is referring to here is, is no longer will there be like economic injustice and oppression of people when the trees are doing what they're supposed to be doing, when the fruit is being produced, when, when God's new creation and new order is coming along. He says, they will not labor in vain, nor they will bear children doomed to misfortune, for they will be people blessed by the Lord and their descendants with them. Before they call, I will answer, and while they are still speaking, I will hear. The wolf and the lamb will feed together and the lion will eat straw like the ox and the dust will be the serpent's food. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountains, says the Lord, meaning that there'll be this element of peace. That when these people that are like trees of the Lord and the nourishment and the fruit that's being produced, this is what happens in this garden, in this new creation. Ezekiel, who is another one of the prophets, um, he had some really cool things happen in his life and uh, he had these really dynamic stories and uh, his probably most famous story um, talks about these dry bones and they come to life. And uh, again, in that song, Graves into Gardens, it talks about like bones coming into armies. That's where that, that line comes from. And it was this vision of like God restoring and bringing new breath uh, into people. But he also talked a lot about like what does it mean when the people of God are spirit-filled, uh, when, when the presence of God is in people. Ezekiel writes it this way. And he says, what, what does he say? Fruit trees of all kinds will grow on both banks of the river. Their leaves will not wither, nor will their fruit fail. Every month they will bear fruit because the water from the sanctuary flows in. This living water is coming in. Their, their, their fruit will serve for food, nourishment, and their leaves for healing. And so the people of God, when they're in the presence of God, they understand their place and that their life is known by the nourishment that they provide to the people around them, by the healing they provide to the cities that they live in. That is evidence of the presence of God. When you understand his presence, you understand your place. And what does he say? It's like, oh, these fruit trees and the living water, and that's what comes out of them. They produce this garden. Now, Jesus comes along, right? Jesus comes along in the story. Now, Jesus, 
He makes some pretty interesting claims about himself. Jesus says a lot about himself. And, and Jesus starts begin doing these teachings. And Jesus comes along and uh, he says this. He says, whoever believes in me, as scripture said, has what? Rivers of living water flowing from them. He's not saying just a random thing. He's saying, when you believe in me and trust in me and follow me, the living water, let me take you back to how this is all supposed to be. And I want you to feel this, experience this, and know this. I'm going to take you back to, you guys know the story? In Genesis chapter 1, the creation story, the waters flew when they would flow out from the top and bring nourishment. Everything. I'm telling you, you believe in me and trust in me and follow me, you're going to experience this living water. You're going to find out what your place is in this world. He also says it uh, this way. He says, he told them uh, another parable. Jesus would talk about parables and he would, he would these little short stories and, and what the kingdom of God was like and what it meant to, to follow him. He said, the kingdom of heaven is like a what? It's interesting, as a mustard seed creates a small tree. He says, which a man took and planted in his field. And Jesus is like, let me tell you, here's what happens. When you guys follow me, and you're in my presence, and you understand your place, it's just these little seeds that get planted along the way. And eventually, those little seeds turn into something. That is all of our stories. You're sitting here right now, not by accident. You're sitting here right now because someone in your life was trying to plant a little seed. Little by little. Little by little. And you got to see around you something that was springing up. And eventually, what ends up happening is we start seeing and we're like, hmm, I see that tree. I'd like to have that kind of fruit. I'd like to have that flowing out of me. I'd like to, to, to be like that. It's these little seeds that get planted. Jesus said this in another way in John 15. He says, I am the vine, you are the what? If you remain in me, I you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from my presence, you'll never understand your place. Apart from my presence, you'll never understand my place. I love this part. Jesus, eventually, uh, he gets beaten. And his story is, eventually, he gets killed. And he gets hung up on a what? But it's a tree. And what people thought was a tree of death was actually the tree of what? Man, how the Bible flips this thing. And at one moment in time, he's hanging up on this tree. And he's got two people on either side of him hanging up on trees. And one of the people that's hanging up there is spitting at him and cursing at him and everything and mocking him. The other one doesn't. The other one chooses to believe in who he is, right? And then Jesus responds to this other guy. He says, truly, I tell you, today you will be with me in what? This is the word for garden. Today you will be with me in the garden. He is experiencing the tree of life and he'll get to experience the garden. You're like, well, hold on a second. He's about to die. Yeah, here's what Jesus is saying. The garden is in the past, it's also in the present, and it's also in the future. And I'm always trying to get you back to the garden because the garden is where my presence is. 
And so this garden imagery that's always there, it's like, man, I'm trying to get you to understand this. Understand my presence, you understand your place. And your life will totally change. Not a revelation, we got there. (laughs) This is what it says at the end. The angel showed me the river and the water of life. So all of a sudden, like, hold on a second. Is the Bible really doing this? Yes. Is John really doing this when he's writing? He's trying to connect us all the way back? Yes. Because when you know the end of the story, then all of a sudden our life starts making a little bit more sense. He says it gets this clear crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. Down the middle of the great street of the city, on each side of the river stood the what? Bearing 12 crops of fruit yielding its fruit in every month, and the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, meaning when they understand their presence, and so everything that they are is consumed with the reality of who God is, and we know our place. There'll be no more night not the need of light of the lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light and they will reign forever and ever. Why does this matter? The tree of life matters because you always have a choice. You have a choice which tree to choose. You have a choice whether or not to enter into the garden or not. You have a choice to experience living water or not. You see, in our relationships, we have to pause for a second and ask ourselves, Who am I in a relationship? Do I bring nourishment and healing? Who am I in my marriage? Do I bring nourishment and healing? Who am I as a brother or sister? Do I bring nourishment and healing? Who am I in this city? Do I bring nourishment and healing? When I go to work tomorrow, do I bring nourishment and healing? Am I evidence of the tree of life? Am I evidence to being in the garden? Am I evidence into the the reality of the presence of God to everyone around me? When I'm going through suffering, I don't look at the suffering. I can grieve in suffering and, and appreciate the suffering and understand the suffering. But when I'm going through suffering, guess what? I understand the reality of the tree of the life and tree of life and the garden. And I know the end of this story. It doesn't take suffering away, but what it does is allows hope within it. It doesn't take our pain away, but man, it allows us to see that I might not get healed here, but I will get healed sometime. It allows us to see that, man, your life and my life is not about how much money we make. It's not about what job we get. It's not about anything else but understanding. If I fully want to understand what this life is about, then man, I better understand his presence because that's when I understand my place. If I'm not willing to put his presence in my opinions, then guess what? I'll never understand my place. If I'm not willing to put his presence in how I see this world, then I'll never have wisdom. If I'm not willing to have his presence, how I see my sexuality, how I see uh, politics, how I see work, how I see money, how I see love, how I see friendships, how I see marriage, how I see anything. If I'm not willing to put his presence into there, I will never understand my place. And we have a choice. We have a choice. We know the end of the story. Do you want to choose the end of the story and understand his presence is the point or go another way? Why don't you guys bow your heads?
just want you to sit with this for a second, and then we're going to sing a song for Graves in the Gardens, and my hope is, is that now this song will actually mean something different. So just think about maybe where you're not choosing the right tree. Maybe neglecting to encounter the presence of God like you hoped or or maybe you're in a spot in your life where, man, I don't understand my place in this world. I don't, I'm struggling with insecurity. I'm struggling with doubt. I'm struggling with fear. I'm overwhelmed. I'm stressed out. I'm anxious. I'm depressed. I'm whatever. But maybe, maybe we need to seek out his presence more. Because there's where we're going to understand our place. You guys stand as we sing this last song. And the song is called Graves in the Gardens. And um, some of the language in the song is just what we talked about. And uh, let me give you a little caveat to the song, which is, hits different for a few of us on the stage. And um, we sang this song in the living room with someone who uh, is, is facing death and um, is about to pass away from cancer. I don't know when, but soon. And this was, uh, we sang a few songs with them, and some of these guys actually here on stage were, were there. And to sit there in this moment and sing this song the words mean differently when you watch someone who's like, man, they see the end. They know the end of the story. But to watch someone raise their hands and sing this, they understand their presence of God. And so they understand their place in the story. And it reshapes everything. Will you sing this with us?